Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. The massive salary cap jump. We've been talking about it all uh, last week. Obviously, now we're looking at ways that it affects not just the team, existing players on the team, and in a fun twist, players not on the team. Happy Monday, you guys. Bump, how was your weekend, by the way? Happy Monday. It was all right. It was good, actually. Um, didn't work on Friday. Went to Pasco for this uh, Cougar Athletic Fund event. Mm-hmm. I co-emceed that thing with uh, Jamie Sire, who's on the Food Network and all that good stuff. And uh, in true Coug form, there were a lot of people walking sideways <laughs> at the end of that event. Looked very waste management open. Very waste management open. Coug. Just a little older, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, like The age started like at 50 and up. But, no, it was a good weekend. Um, a little under the weather today. So, before y'all come at me with all that stuff, you yeah. sound different, yes. But, um, I think there's something going around. And I killed it this weekend as a dad. Oh? I killed it. Wifey was out of town. I came back on Saturday. had the kids Saturday and Sunday. They were fed. They were clothed. They were showered. Uh, the house was clean. Yeah. I, I had Heck to sit yeah. back and yeah. I looked at my living room like you do when you mow the lawn. Yeah. I was like, look at that. I did that. Did you do like the vacuum though where you've yeah. got like uh-huh. straight vacuum yeah. lines? Lines were on point. <laughs> do so you wish that you could have a vacuum, like a like a ride around John Deere tractors type vacuum for the home? <laughs> if I have one of those, I'm not working here because I'm making a lot of money. <laughs> and my, my living room and is that living big. It's big enough yeah. to where yeah. you need a riding vacuum. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Curtis, how was your weekend? It was good. It was good. We went over to uh, my brother in law's house yesterday. Uh, our kids played with his kids all day, so it was great. Yeah, wonderful. You let wonderful. them take care how of was themselves. Your weekend? Yeah. It was good. It's taken me, I actually am getting off uh, a cold, and it's taken me one of those weird moments where you're sick for like a week. You know what I mean? And it's it feels weird to be in a world where you could be sick, but it's not COVID. You yeah. know? Anyone uh-huh. else, you kind of uh-huh. get that feeling of, like, the second you feel a runny nose, sore throat, body aches, you're like, oh, no. Here it is. You take five tests. You're like, what do you mean? What is this? What, what am I dealing <laughs> with here? What's going on? And you're like, oh, this thing existed before, which is just having a cold. Simple cold. Yeah, so I'm good. Um, and I am ready to talk uh, again about this salary cap. And I think what I like about this conversation in general about the salary cap is that you constantly look at different ways that this team can use it, right? It's always fun playing with money that isn't yours. And that's kind of how it feels <laughs> looking at what the Seahawks can do. They still need to create cap space, but uh, a couple different things that we wanted to go over. And I'm going to start with a newer angle. That being what it means for signing guys that we've said, oh, that would be cool, but you can't do it. You know what I mean? I mean, previous to their restructure of Geno's contract, the Seattle Seahawks were $5 million over the cap, and we're going to need to create, you know, quite a bit of room and make some tough decisions. So we were looking at, you know, what if Patrick Queen, like you could use a linebacker here. He's familiar with Mike McDonald, had a career year over there, fantastic player. Um, you know, unfortunately, looking at a, at a cap hit that is going to be in a salary much higher than Jordan Brooks. Does someone like him suddenly become a possibility? Like, do you look at free agency bump and think, I am suddenly looking at names that I was not considering a week ago? Oh, yeah, for sure. When I when I saw the, the cap number, because we were thinking, um, I forgot what number was out there, but we weren't thinking this, right? And when I saw that, that's the first name I thought about. I go, man, is Queen more uh, realistic now? Because you know that they were going to make moves to clear cap space anyway. So now the moves that they presumably will make plus the extra $30 million that they're going to get with this cap space um, is going to in, uh, entice a conversation 
of Patrick Queen a bit more. Because at first we're thinking about, oh, that would be lovely, but we're probably not going to have enough money to get him. we got to do other things. So once that went down, that's the first thing I looked at. I go, all right, Queen um, is a bit more realistic. And then I looked at, just a side note, in 1994, the NFL cap was $34 million in 1994. Like that's why uh, these these older guys who play in the game aren't walking around as multimillionaires because you know they didn't get the the opportunity to make this much money, which I thought was crazy. So the jump of thirty million dollars is almost equal to what the teams had to spend overall in nineteen ninety four. It's crazy. I just looked up gas prices, not to interrupt, but what I know we're it? gonna stick with this. Guess gas prices in nineteen ninety four per gallon. Just because you're going, just because you said that. I'm gonna say it was ninety cents. <laughs> it was honestly close. It was a dollar and eleven cents. Dollar eleven. Okay. Oh, what a yeah. time! What, what a time. time! Sorry, continue. Um, no, when I first started driving, I used to fill up my Corolla with twenty bucks, and it That's, was nothing. I honestly, it still feels like not that long ago. And I've always driven smaller cars, but it still feels like not that long ago. It was a decent price, mm-hmm. and it's 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 wild to me when people drive. Like if you drive a big Escalade. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're driving all over the place. I don't want to see those gas receipts. Or, I don't even uh, want to look at or it. Or Silverado Ugh. that you drive from Monroe to Seattle every day. But anyway, <laughs> but back I, to the Who cat. knows about that? <laughs> um, what this does is, as a for overall for the whole league, right, I looked at the New Orleans Saints and I go, yeah, they're, they're in trouble, but this helps a lot. I look at Buffalo Bills. I go, they're in trouble when it comes to cap space, but this helps a lot. So I think this changes a little bit of how teams are going to attack this offseason when it comes to free agency. I believe it opens up March 13th, I want to say. It allows more room uh, to wiggle. And the reason why there's so much cap space now is because uh, the media has been going crazy. The NFL is projecting so much more money than last year when it comes to media rights. Also, they're trying to – to, to get things right off of that COVID year where uh, cast space was down tremendously. Now they bumped it up a little bit. For once, I looked at this whole situation and go, all right, the NFL is is looking out right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're allowing these teams to go out and, and pursue these guys and spend more money. They're trying to make things right. They're including them on the on the uh, the media rights deal. Now, all that's in a collective, collective bargaining agreement. It's not like the NFL is like, hey, guys, let's just help these dudes out. But this, um, this allows for more possibilities with – the Seattle Seahawks, and I think the first name you have to look at is Patrick Queen. Uh, there's also uh, an impact here for franchise tags. We're going to speak with Jory Epstein, uh, who wrote uh, about this for Yahoo Sports, coming up uh, a bit later in the show. And um, as part of this, she spoke with a group of experts from around the leagues, um, or excuse me, around the league. And uh, one executive believed that franchise tags could be used more liberally this year because. There's just, you know, more money to work with. Um, Bengals have already placed a franchise tag on wide receiver T. Higgins. So I think that when we look at franchise tags for the Seattle Seahawks, we saw Jordan Brooks, maybe Leonard Williams. I know that there was a weird thing there where we had uh, Joel Corian, who was like, that's not going to happen, like for for X amount of reasons. Like, that's just not something that's, you know, it. So instead, what I kind of look at is like, well, what's it mean for potential free agents that the Seahawks could bring in? Like suddenly they become franchise tag candidates, too. Uh, Curtis, I forgot. What do you remember? What he said about uh, trying to franchise tag Jordan Brooks? Oh, that it would be just like silly to do with that. Yeah, salary. because the outside linebackers and inside linebackers are all grouped together in their franchise tag. So a lot of those outside linebackers who are, are 
great pass rushers mm-hmm. have inflated the linebacker tag to where it's like 22 23 million dollars exactly and the franchise tag used on leonard williams even though the seahawks haven't used it uh two times before would be, technically be a third time so it would be a really prohibitively expensive cost so those two aren't getting franchise tagged but yeah it makes you look around the league and go like if you're the chiefs do you franchise tag chris jones i know that's not technically a seahawks conversation mm-hmm. but. yeah you look at the whole situation a bit differently um I look at what um, I got the free agent list popped up right now, right? The, it's the most sought after free agents, I guess, according to uh, Spot Track, Spot Track, whatever you call it. Uh, yeah, Kirk Cousins at the top of the stand. You got Leonard Williams. What does that do for Leonard, right? Uh, do you work out a deal with him now, a longer, what, two, three year deal to make him comfortable over there? Um, you look at Mike Evans, right? Do teams roll the dice on Mike Evans? I think he's the type of player to where teams are going to do that anyway, but now it becomes more attractive. So it's just, it allows teams to be more aggressive in their pursuit, right? It allows teams to um, expand that board when you're looking at free agents and who can help your team. And uh, just like it is doing that for the Seahawks, it's for everybody. So now everybody has more money to play with. Mm-hmm. Everybody can uh, can sit at the poker table and call somebody's bluff and throw money out there and, uh, and, and it'll be a bit more aggressive. So that makes it more exciting for me because I look at the possibilities for the Seahawks. Granted, every team has, has more possibilities now, but I don't cover everybody. I cover the Seahawks. So uh, I focus on those guys. So I think of Jordan Jordan Brooks, I think of Leonard Williams, I think of Patrick Queen, and I think of that tight end room too. Like, what does that do for that tight end room? Because yeah. you're looking at Will Disley, Noel Fed, and Colby Parkinson, they all have to sign new deals. Um, wh- where does that push you as far as signing all one or two of those guys? That's a really good point. It's like, well, how does it change the way you see different position groups? And you're right. I think that we've heard a mock draft that has the Seahawks taking a tight end in the first round. We've uh, we know that people are looking at tight end as obviously being a need for them entering the draft, particularly if they move on from both Kobe and Noah. But that was a pretty solid tight end group. Like, I wouldn't be mad at the team for bringing back one or both. I mean, you wonder what they'll look like with, um, you know, uh, with Ryan Grubb here. Like, I, you know, obviously with Shane Waldron, you knew he was a former tight ends coach. Like, that was his thing. Yeah. And it didn't necessarily become everything people thought it would be. Nothing on the Seahawks did last year become right. everything you thought it would be. But... I compared to previous iterations of offenses, Shane Waldron and Zosie saw more tight end play for sure. Yeah, and we saw him in some weird positions too, in the backfield as fullbacks, um, and didn't really build off of that. But I think that the Seahawks should and will bring back at least one of those guys. And me personally, uh, I think that if you bring back Kobe Parkinson on a deal, you're going to save a lot of money. I think Noah Fan is worthy as well. I think all three. In a perfect world, I'm bringing back all three of the homies and saying, let's run it back with a new offensive coordinator and let's see what happens. But uh, we know that the chances of that happening just aren't um, – chances aren't very high because they are looking to maneuver and make more money. And how do you do that? You cut guys, older guys, or don't re-sign guys are going to require a bit more. You look at Will Disney, Noah Fenton, saying they're going to require a bit more than Kobe Parkinson. So naturally, let's keep the six-six tight end who's put on some weight, who's become a better blocker, and – can be a threat in the past game and maybe draft a younger guy. I'm telling you, man, if Bowers is available at 16, mm-hmm. if these guys go offense, I think you take a chance on him. So, um, it's so wild to think. It is. He shouldn't be, but because of his uh, injury history or whatnot, and, and 
I've seen mock drafts where he is he's as high as 20 and as low as somewhere in the top 10. Yeah. Who really knows? But um, you got to keep all your options open. But how would you feel if knowing that they like you've said before when I've said, OK, who would you want them to take in terms of just a position group? You were like defense, man. I look in the trenches. You know, I've looked at offensive tackles. I've looked at defense. I've even looked at quarterback. Like, how would you feel if it was a tight end? Like we're looking at all the needs for the team. Yes, knowing that their tight end room is going to be thin right now if they don't, you know, make, make some things happen in free agency. Like the one staying on is a huge contract you got to reconsider, and then you've got two entering free agency. It's a question mark for sure. Don't get me wrong. But your 16th pick? Yeah, I wouldn't be mad, honestly, because I I place so much value on that tight end position, so much value on it. I look at the best tight ends in the game, and they are the catalyst to their offense. you got to be able to run. you got to be able to protect. you got to have a quarterback who can throw the ball, protect the football, lead your team. But I look at the tight end position, and they're next up. Man, I remember when Justin Coleman, I believe his name was, right, the nickelback for uh, – for the Seahawks back in the day. He um he changed the market when it came to nickel. He left here, went to Detroit, made about, what, $10 million a year, mm-hmm. and he changed the game because the game was evolving and you needed someone who can work in that slot. That's the way I'm looking at this tight end position. Back in the day, I'm talking about back in my day, the Antonio Gates, the Tony Gonzalez, the Jason Wittens, the great tight ends. In, uh, in the game at the time, they weren't doing the things that these guys are doing. They were catching the football. They were big in a block game. But you didn't expect real explosive plays from them. I think Antonio Gates could give you one or two mm-hmm. here or there. But now you're looking at the best offenses in the game. Not only do they have a tight end that's dynamic, some teams have multiple tight ends are dynamic. I look at the Buffalo Bills with Kincaid and Knox over there. I look at um, the Baltimore Ravens when um, Andrews is healthy and likely over there. And then, of course, um, you got the um, – the, the 49ers with, with Kittle and Indwelly's okay. But um, the game is changing. So I see a trend and I'm like, all right, let's get ahead of it. Let's get it. Let's get in front of it. Now, now I, I would prefer a defensive player, the best one they got out mm-hmm. there because we know what this defense can do. But as an offensive guy, as a guy that sees where this game is going, I look at the tight end spot and I go, if Bowers is there, you, whoever's making a call, John Schneider, whoever's making a call, you would have to have a, a heck of a discussion and a reason for not picking him up because he's that special to me. Um, what the massive salary cap means for Patrick Queen to the Seahawks, what it means for the Hawks in a couple of position groups, and also what it means for this third name. Curtis, from your email, do you care if I read it? Uh, you, said, I think, you said, I think Jamal would probably still be cut, even if the cap skyrocketed by $100 million. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I just don't see a way he's back on the team. Even if, even if, the, Mar- or, uh, even if the Seahawks could keep his salary and it not really affect things. I just, I don't see a, a path forward for either side. Yeah. Well, I also don't see the team keeping him on. Well, certainly on his current contract. I don't know that he would take less to stay with this team. Nah, and he shouldn't. Yeah. If there's someone else willing to pay you what you think you're worth and where your agent thinks you're worth. No, nah, you shouldn't take a pay cut. I know people are, are infatuated with just the loyalty and you play for the team. Nah, this is a business. And just like the way people have turned on Jamal because of his play as of late, the league will get rid of you as soon as they think you're done. So, nah, man, you got to you gotta weigh the numbers out and, and do what's best for you financially. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline Rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacey. Headline number one, 
Bumps Coog spent about 48 hours in first place before falling 73-61 to ASU on Saturday. What's the real headline? Did the Coog fans who were still passed out from Thursday know what happened? That's what I want to know. Like, who's told <laughs> them they woke up Sunday? Let's go! They're still coming go down Cougs! from that high. I know. Oh, man. I got so many homies that live in Arizona who went to Wazoo, and they yeah. were at that game. And the text messages I was receiving were just, uh, they were heartbreaking, man. But you know what? Hey. Still got a lot of season left. Not a lot, but three games left yeah. that we think that uh, we could win. Curtis and I were talking about the possibilities going down the road between Arizona and Wazoo. And I think we come to agreement that UCLA is probably the scariest matchup for both of us, Curtis. I would say so, yeah. So uh, eyes on that. But you got to finish, man. You have to finish. And I was at a Cougar event this weekend, and uh, you would think we won the Super Bowl. We were celebrating. Good. Well, and I we hope that, uh, Curtis, what game did you say was uh, sold out? It looks I think like the UCLA game, which is Saturday in Pullman, is either sold out or close to a sellout at Beasley. Man, so. I hope so. Like, I'd love yeah. to see for, obviously, a conversation happening earlier this season with the Cougs was, hey, they're they're playing pretty well. Like, I know they're under the radar still and, and not a lot of national folks paying as close attention, but, like, you'd think that locals would, and this stadium is still, like, got 2,700, or arena still is, like, 2,700 people showing up. I would love for these guys as the season rounds out and they only get a couple more home games here to, to play in front of a sold out crowd to play in front of a lot of fans show up show out let's get it Beasley <laughs> headline rewrites headline number two Mitch Hanniger back in a Mariners uniform and back doing this here in 21 here's a swing and a drive deep to left field going and going and goodbye baseball welcome back Mitch Hanniger his first swing spring a home run in the Mariners bullpen and straight away left field yes indeed a standing ovation for Hanniger who puts the Mariners on top one to nothing here in the bottom of the first inning and that has got to feel great for the veteran Mitch Hanniger way to go Mitch Mitch Homer in his first spring at bat since returning to the Mariners what's the real headline you imagine the ball was Jesse Winker that's the trick. <laughs> Do you guys remember that story that came out? It was uh, Ryan Divish, I believe. Uh, it's not like Mitch Haniger came out and said anything, but uh, Ryan Divish said it that was Mitch Haniger, yeah, was getting um, frustrated with Jesse Winker's quote "tired act," and this was specifically, and this was on the Brock and Salk show. It became like a like a quietly national story for just a minute in baseball, um, but that Jesse Winker's work ethic really rubbed Mitch Haniger the wrong way. You know why I love that? Because Mitch is the type of guy, it, from what I hear and in that story, right, making assumptions, but he seems like the type of guy doesn't necessarily have to say anything to you, but the way he treats you will let you know, like, look, I ain't rocking with you. You're not doing enough out there. And so I like that presence. Also, I love seeing a DH for the Mariners go yard. <laughs> We're so done with that platoon type situation, man. I'm happy for, for, for Mitch, man. I, I hope he keeps it rolling. Way to start spring training. Headline rewrites. Headline number three. NFL competition committee getting together at the site of the combine this week, and they will reportedly discuss the XFL kickoff. Remember that as a result <laughs> of the dwindling numbers of kick returns we've seen in recent seasons. What is the real headline? Only 22% of kickoffs return in 2023. Let's see if we can get it to a quarter. Please. 25%. Yeah. That's the goal. Bring it back to the game. The, um, the last Super Bowl was the first Super Bowl where no kicks were returned. It's I mean, crazy. You guys. No kicks were returned. It changes the, the game. This is the football we all grew up watching. So I'm going to start at 2016. In 2016, you had seven returns for TDs. In 2017, you had seven. 
in uh, 18, you had 5. 19, 7. 20, you had 7. 21, 1. 22, 2. And 23, you had 3. Bring this back. And the reason why I love the XFL's situation is that you line up 10 yards apart. There's no running 15 yards down the field. You're getting that collision. You're still allowing space for the re- returner to, to do his thing. This is a big part of the game. It switches field position. It changes momentum. I'm glad that they're talking about it um, because there have been a lot of game-changing plays and, and household names that have made their names off of returning kicks, man. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate and understand wanting to limiting these uh, these horrible injuries. I get it. But it's a risk to play football in general. And I guarantee you there are special teams coordinator, Jay Harbaugh, the new coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. I bet you he wants this rule to be switched so you can have an impact on the game. That's what it's all about. So if you can imagine a regular NFL kickoff in your head, this is what the XFL rule is. Move that uh, kickoff team uh, or kicking team members that are like standing out there up like many, many yards. So the kicker lines up at his 30 yard line. Those 10 members of the kickoff team line up at the opponent's 35 and five yards away from the returning team. So they're kind of facing off. The kicker is way back there. He kicks. The idea is this. What you aren't going to have is uh, are those gunners, guys that, you know, just you know, blast down the field, lay out a guy, great special teams tackle. Like, you aren't going to get that. You're facing each other five yards away from each other. What you might get, though, is a big return because once you get through that line, there's no mm-hmm. one else there. Yeah. Move through that line of people. It's it's literally like a like a run. Like, imagine, like, a defense if you were to have, like, a crowded box and you get through those guys. Right. That's the opportunity that's there with kickoff. So we'll take away these really awesome big hits on special teams that – don't really happen that much anymore anyways because right. most people signal for safe, uh, fair catches. Uh, and we'll give you instead a chance for a guy to return at 50 yards. Space and opportunity. And uh, let me correct myself. Text lines always hold you accountable. Of Wrong course. Mitch I was talking about at DH, but y'all get my drift, man. I want to see uh, this Mitch do his thing. But, man, allow the returner to be special, right? Allow these, these athletes to be elusive with the ball in their hands and change the identity of the game. Um, Coming up, uh, again, I mentioned we're going to have a salary cap. It's not salary cap expert. We're going to have Yahoo Sports NFL writer Jory Epstein on with us who talked to a lot of experts about the NFL salary cap, what it actually means for the Seahawks, uh, a couple franchise tag candidates. We'll ask her also about, obviously, the Seahawks coaching staff and, you know, potential free agents that could come here, all kinds of good stuff. Um, We've got uh, Four Down Territory coming up. We have a short show today. Why is that, Bump? Why is that, Curtis? Mariners baseball. Because you got baseball. Mariners baseball Let's coming go. your way. Let's go. Radio. Diamond. Bases. <laughs> bats. Dugout. Luis Castillo making his uh, Cactus League debut this year. All right. That is coming your way at noon. Uh, you are going to uh, tune in to uh, the uh, the Mariners spring training. Who doesn't love day baseball? Pretty nice. Pretty awesome. Uh, all right. Coming up next, though, we are going to talk about the Mariners. Well, there is a lot to be excited about with this team, and we will cover all of that. Did the Mariners let an opportunity to add slip by? Let's let's look at that chance. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Good stuff and a question mark from the Mariners offseason. Good stuff coming up at 10:45. Scott Service did something pretty cool this offseason. Ryan Divish had the story. We're going to talk about it coming your way in 15 minutes. Before we get to it, though, the market is coming down. But did the Mariners let an opportunity to add slip by? Cody Bellinger signed a three-year, $80 million deal with the Cubs with opt-outs after every year of the deal. He gets paid $30 million in each of his first two seasons, $20 million uh, in his third year. 
Mariners payroll currently sits at 124 million, which is 18th in MLB. Uh, I know that we have this perspective of like, oh, you're not spending it all. You're horrible. Uh, I mean, they're like, you know, if there's a middle third, they're near the bottom of it. Um, An extra 30 million. So if you were to sign Bellinger for what the Cubs did, would take their payroll up to around 154, which is 13th. And to clarify, Seattle, 12th biggest market. So it kind of matches your market size. It, the entire point of this is to saying that if you were to sign Cody Bellinger, the Mariners were, it would not have catapulted them into this Dodgers-Yankees territory that people like to think spending does. Yeah, and um, again, people look at that number and say, all right, well, why didn't they go get it? There's one thing to be true, or several things, but one that sticks out is that the Mariners are not going to overspend in their eyes and exceed their budget. They are going to be nice and tight when it comes into it. They're going to walk them to the cash register, and you're going to start hearing the click, the barcodes going. They're looking to see how much they're spending, and they're going to say, you know what? Put the popsicles back because they're going to put us over our, what, 145 budget that we put out there. So, and then you see the deal for Bellinger, and you go, all right, would you be able to do, do that? I think the thing that um, deterred or one of the things that deterred the Mariners for doing this deal, from doing this deal, is that um, the opt-out every year. You know, I think if you sign a guy like Bellinger, you want to make sure he's there for at least two to three years, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they saw that and go, well, we don't agree with that because a lot of times guys come here and their power numbers go down, and why would he want to stay here and kind of struggle through the atmosphere when uh, he can go elsewhere and get the job done? I don't know what the ballpark is like over there in Chicago. I don't know about the weather, uh, but we all know that people look at T-Mobile Park and say that's not a header-friendly deal. Uh, so I think there was some risk there. And if whenever a guy has a year-to-year Opt out, man. You got to be nervous. You're praying that your team does well. You're praying that he has great relationships with the managers and GMs or whatnot. So there was some risk there, but I think that most people think that um, a guy like Bellinger was worth the risk, even though they're looking at that 2023 season and saying, okay, that was a bounce back year. Can you do it again? Because the two years prior to that, he struggled, man. He was not the guy that we saw um, in Los Angeles his early years. We had two all-star appearances, what, 30-plus home runs one year. He just wasn't that guy. So I think when you factor in um, the the opt-outs every year and exceeding the budget and banking on him liking it here and looking at what he did the previous two years where he wasn't successful, they saw this as a risk. But in free agency – Every contract is a risk. Um, there's still a contract that we're wondering if they're going to sign. Well, first of all, uh, Curtis, this was um, something that you were mentioning a little bit earlier. Do you see it as like majorly missing on something or are you hoping that, well, they missed it because they might still add something else? I, I think it's a little bit of both because <clears throat> I think Cody Bellinger could have helped the 24 Mariners, not 2023, 24 Mariners more. I'm still adjusting. Exactly. Can you believe it's almost March? Can you believe it's March? (laughs) Uh, I think Cody Bellinger would have helped the 2024 Mariners more than Matt Chapman could potentially if the Mariners ever did go down that road, just because Bellinger last year was really good. Like he looked like the old Cody Bellinger when he was with the Dodgers, uh, had an OPS near 900, had a batting average of 307, was worth four and a half wins uh, in terms of baseball reference war, 26 home runs. And Bellinger's only going to be 28 years old this year. So he's still, uh, you know, basically in his prime years, whereas Matt Chapman, I believe is going to be 31 this upcoming season. 
Um, so I think Bellinger represented a better upside of the two, and plus he plays the outfield, which I still think isn't incredibly settled here in Seattle, especially with guys like Rayleigh and Canzone who haven't really done it over the course of 162 games. There's question marks with Mitch Hanniger, whether or not he can you know, hold up over the course of the same amount of games. Um, but, I mean, Chapman's glove is incredible. He is maybe the best fielding third baseman, uh, and his bat is passable. But I think Cody Bellinger could have meant more to the 2024 Mariners than Chapman. I agree. Um, speaking of Chapman, though, some interesting sound. Uh, was Ryan Divish on? This was, I believe, on, it was, I think it was Wyman and Bob yeah. last week. Um, continuing to kind of look at where there are question marks with this team as they kind of iron things out. Uh, Bump, you've talked about loving what they've done at DH. Uh, we all love what they've done at second. Uh, these were both question marks entering the offseason. A question mark that remains is third base. I look at Arias. He's not throwing. He still hasn't thrown in infield drills yet. He's playing catch, but it's very like light catch and looks uncomfortable. So, you know, I mean, he's got a month to be ready for opening day, but, you know, he's still not throwing across the diamond and drills. You know, Rojas isn't naturally a third baseman. That's not his position by any means. So he has looked, you know, I wouldn't say out like gold glove. Like they're, they're, they're taking a significant step down defensive from where Suarez was. They are taking a significant step down defensively. They're also really risking it with a guy who's hurt right now, a guy where it's not his natural position. I am concerned about third. And even though Curtis, as you mentioned, Matt Chapman, you know, maybe wouldn't have been, you know, as great if it bump. I look at it and I go, I mean, you need to do something. Yeah, that's the only place I'm concerned with this ball club right now. Um, other than Brash going through what he's going through right now, they set him down. Um, we know that bullpen is going to be young, and um, and you lost you lost Toba, so you want to see what happens there. But no, I look at third base and and go, the guy we had there last year, yes, he struck out a lot, uh, but his uh, his glove was on point, and he was good for a clutch hit every now and then. Um, we understand that there are some things going on with, with Gino when they're talking about his bat speed and mm-hmm. not coming into shape. I understand all of that, and you have to make moves where you feel is necessary. But um, this is like the last piece, I feel like. Not the last piece to make this team great, but the last piece to at least have a, a little bit of certainty on the corner and say, yeah. all right, well, we know who's going to be there at third base, and we don't have to rely on um, just a straight contact hit on Urias or a, a guy in, a, in Rojas who isn't really a third baseman. Like, you want – a third baseman. It's almost like when I I hear this during football season a lot, where guys look at the offensive line and say, well, just move him over there and then move him over there. But it's like, no, you look at the line and you think it's all the same. But center's different than guard, left and right guard, and, and right and left tackle are different as well. Guys could play those positions, but you want them to be extremely comfortable in those positions. I look at who we have right now, and your eyes, if he's healthy, he'll be fine there. You know, he'll be, he'll be okay. Uh, but I don't like the uncertainty. I don't either. And I hate that. Uh, now, granted, every team, no matter what, the Dodgers, your Dodgers, you ha- your Mariners are really, you know, close to your heart. But uh, jokingly, your Dodgers, we all collectively see as one of the most stacked teams in baseball, right. um, highest payrolls uh, in baseball. Uh, I mean, for goodness sakes, they got Otani. <laughs> they got Mookie. <laughs> they got everyone. Um, they got Freeman. But even they are going to enter their question or excuse me, their season, with question marks of their own. That bar is going to be so much higher, but right. it, this is not something where, like, no team enters the season going, like, we're perfect. We've settled everything. You run into injuries. You have someone get sick. You have someone who can't start with you. You have, you know, a prospect who struggles out of the gate, you know, in his first promotion, whatever it is. I think one thing that I was really hoping with the Mariners is that we wouldn't go for a good chunk of the season 
knowing that that question mark cost us. Like, that's the worst, Mm -hmm. is when you enter a season like the Mariners did last year going, what's your plan at DH? And is is this offense enough? And it becomes a thing just throughout. Like, (laughs) obviously, part of the season is, you know, Teo wasn't who you wanted him to be. Julio wasn't who you wanted him to be. You You know, this was an execution issue as well. But the worst is knowing you have a question mark and having that cost you. And that's what I'm worried about third. I do not want to be here in May, June, July, getting into August going, ah, this team's really solid, but third base has really been an issue. When you knew right. now on February 26th that it remained an issue. Yeah. Um, you can't expect every position to outperform or perform to your expectations. It's sports. You're dealing with human beings. Injuries happen. Um, there are uh, rise and dips when it comes to execution. But you at least want to go into the season and say, we have our guy at third base. And uh, they might feel that way about your rise. I don't know. They might feel that way. But um, as soon as an injury pops up, it makes you explore um, the, the darker possibilities. And I'm with you 100%, right? You don't want to go into the season and think, all right, what if – we made a move for Chapman, even though I know people are going to look at his his numbers at the plate. They dipped a little bit, but at least you know that third base is going to be on lock with that glove. Weird question. We are sticking with the Mariners, but before I get to it, uh, personal anecdotes, if you can think of them. What's the most like dad moment you've had? Like where, where you were like, I'm very dad right now. Oh, I'll never forget it. Uh, a couple years ago, we're out trick-or-treating. And it's it's busy in the Frylands and Monroe. It's real busy. And a car comes zooming down the street. I'm like, hey, <laughs> slow down. There's kids out here, man. I'm like, damn, I'm that guy, huh? I'm that it's guy. A, it's really a universal moment. dad move <laughs> if something has gone completely here. We go, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. yeah. And then you flash back to you in college going, if only me stumbling out of a bar in Pullman could see me now going, slow down. Right. Hey, Curtis, what's your most dad moment? Most dad moment. Where you were like, with Bump kind of like, I would imagine Bump did that, and then it kind of dawned on him. Uh, yeah, there are definitely times where it's like, oh, man, I am washed. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> Where you were like, you want to just go to Home Depot for fun? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, God, every, every other week we make a Costco run, and every time I'm just like, I'm back, baby. I love this place. <laughs> this is my time to shine. Scott Service, as we all know, kind of has that that joke about being like team dad, Scott Service. Lots of dad energy, Scott, uh, Scott Service. Um, Ryan Divish wrote an article about how Scott Service seemingly really tapped into that dad energy and did something pretty cool this offseason. That's coming up next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. You know, like, the where in the world is Carmen Sandiego kind of thing? Where yeah. in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Banger. Was that, was that a TV show? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it was. Okay, I just I, I saw just a taping of it as a kid. No! You went to a live taping? I did, what? yeah. How many wow. live tapings have you been to? Have you been live to live tapings? I've been to that one. I went to a live taping of Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. I mean, Bump was on the Ellen show. That's the thing. Here I am yeah. turning to you going, Curtis, what else did you watch in the audience? Yeah, uh, I've never won Bump, anything. what was it like being on Ellen is what I should have started with. It was That's, great. It was, it was great. Good times, yeah. good times. That was before we it. knew Ellen as, as 
what she's known. Yeah, before, right. we, now known before we canceled yeah. Alex yeah, exactly. Uh Imagine the where in the world as the story that I'm going to tell about Scott Service right now. Now, this entire story was written. It's a wonderful column. I highly recommend checking it out. It's by Ryan Divish. It's on the Seattle Times. Um, and he talked about something Scott Service did that was pretty cool, this off-season bump. And we all know that Scott Service has that dad energy, right? Like, it just emanates from him. He can't control it. He did something that, I, you know, Ryan Divish joked as being very dad-like, which is to travel in person after these big trades were happening, after there was all this controversy. If you guys remember towards the start of this offseason for the Mariners, you know, essentially cuts are being made, trades are happening. It looks like they're shedding payroll. This is following the 54% comments. People were mad. We were wondering if players were going to be, like, having issues. People think of how you felt about the Mariners earlier this offseason, and then imagine that you probably feel that way as a player. You're confused. You're angry. You're going, we just missed the playoffs. Our plan was to win a World Series. We're trying to get back there. What are we doing? None of this makes sense. So Scott Service, Bump, decided to, you know, go visit individually each of his star players and kind of key core players and sit down with them and explain one-on-one in person, here's what's happening. I want to let you know. Like, here's the deal. So... Let's travel. Scott Service. Um, so it starts with him uh, calling Cal Raleigh, who was in the middle of moving. It's the only player I think he didn't see in person. And Cal said, it's important in any kind of relationship, whether it's a team, player, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, you have to have a good relationship. You have to communicate. With him doing that, it's a level of trust. It's a little more comforting knowing that. So that's what Cal had to say about it to Ryan Divish. And, um, you know, before I keep diving in, uh, what do you make of Cal's point about communication and that being something that's valued by players from a manager who doesn't necessarily owe telling them about front office decisions? Um, I think Cal is right. I think that um, there were moves that were made in the past that rubbed these guys in the clubhouse the wrong way, and they were vocal about it. And um, Service felt it. Hollander felt it. Um, DePoto felt it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that this is, not only is this such a, a good move, in my opinion, to talk to the, the core guys, right? You're not going to go down the roster and hit up everybody. Some guys, yeah. look, you figure it out when everyone else does. But the guys who you are going to rely on, I think it's important to have that relationship, man. And um, and I think that service doing that just showed um, some growth in within the organization as well. Now, was this a just a Scott service type of a move or was this the organization type of move? Whatever it is, it looks good for the organization, even if it was just Scott's service, right? Let these guys know you care. Um, explain what's going on because they're a part of this team. And that was my question. Um, I want to say like last year I go, is Julio to the point where you know he's involved, not in decision making, but just in the direction you let him know what's going on? And we weren't sure, but I think now it's safe to say that guys like him and Cal and JP and, and uh, Ty Friends um, – We'll be here for a while, and service knows it's important to make sure that their spirits are are, are good. Uh, he drove out to Kent to see Ty France, um, and the, the, all these little nuggets of information from Ryan's column are really interesting. He knew that Ty and JP would be together at Driveline mm-hmm. because obviously JP had convinced Cal to, or excuse me, uh, yeah, JP had convinced Ty to try out Driveline and fix his game. They're really, really close friends, but he chose to meet with them separately, one on one. Dad move. Yeah, oh yeah, Coach that move. move. You know what sure. I mean? So he meets with France at driveline. Then he schedules a lunch with JP. JP tells Ryan, there was a lot going through my mind, to be honest. Like, what does this mean? You're getting rid of what we thought were key pieces? It was a tough pill to swallow for sure. I had a bunch of questions. But at the end of the day, it was, what are we doing? Then Scott makes trips 
to visit Luis Castillo, Julio Rodriguez, and Logan Gilbert. He flew out to the Dominican Republic to see Luis Castillo. Castillo said that was the first time that had happened in his career, and the two went fishing together. I love that. I see you, Scott. I know. Make an investment in your players emotionally and mentally, and you you might get more production out of that. When a player feels like he's involved, um, he's he's being backed up by the organization and the coach, he goes to work feeling just great, feeling like he's really a part of this. So, man, I applaud my man's service for going, doing the extra, having the extra effort, right? A guy, an organization like the Yankees are probably like, we ain't going nowhere. We're the Yankees. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys, it's a privilege to play for us. Scott is like, look, man, we had a good year um, last year. The year before was better. Um, changes are being made. Let's make sure my guys are in a good place mentally. He also knew that, and this is why I think these trips individually matter. Gino was, you know, someone loved by everyone, but Gino and Luis Castillo were really tight. They had spent a huge portion, most of their careers playing together, obviously with Cincinnati and then with Seattle with like a little bit of gap in between. Um, But you basically have to go and be like, here's why I traded one of your best, or not why I, here's why the team traded one of your best friends. And I Mm want to tell you in person, face to face. And I think players, I think athletes in general respect that kind of thing. Uh, He visited with Logan Gilbert, Logan talking about it on with Brock and Salk. It says a lot, um, the transparency, the honesty, when I think he doesn't necessarily need to loop us in like that. It's kind of like front office stuff and moves and it's part of the business. But, um, just getting to a position where he's willing to get everybody on the same page when I don't think anything was really not on the same page last year, but I think the media might've ran with it a little bit. So it just kind of shows that, all right, from day one, from the get go, we're going to get on the same page here. We're going to get the best roster we've had. I feel like everything's moving in the same direction at the same time. And especially in the off season when, like I said, he didn't have to do that. I think that means a lot. What do you think about what Logan said? On point. These are moves that are unnecessary, right? Um, not unnecessary in the fact that you don't have to do it, but necessarily this isn't the norm. You don't fly out um, to see your ace. You don't drive down to Ken. This is the manager of a ball club, right? Going out of his way to make sure that the guys he loves and he trusts understand what's going on. The uncertainty is the worst thing to have in sports, in my opinion. Uncertainty in play calling, uncertainty in direction, philosophy, uncertainty as a player if you are wanted here. Because you could see that move made by Geno, and people are scratching their head like, what's going on? Uh, even if you look at the numbers and, and how they've declined a little bit, if you're a player and you realize what that player does outside of just baseball, mm-hmm. the emotion and the leadership, you could be scratching your head. So clarification is key for those guys. Everybody else is show up and do your job. But exactly. the guys that he visited, he visited for a reason. I also love that he stopped in the Dominican before leaving to see Nelson Cruz, which I just love how much people love Nelson Cruz. <laughs> Universally <laughs> loved player. Then he traveled to Tampa, obviously, to see his superstar, Julio Rodriguez, who was training there. And they spent a lot of time together, too. And uh, you're right. It's not something a manager needs to do. You're right. You were like, this is a big league ball club manager. Like, you could easily be like, that's what we did. Don't know what to tell you. I think it is imperative to Scott Service to make it clear to his players that he's on their side and that there should be uh, a way of communicate, an open, you know, lines of communication, that there should be a trust there. And he knew that he needed to build that up with them and make it clear to them, look, Here's why this is happening, and no one owes you this, but I think you deserve it. 
And that's hugely important. It was very, very cool. The, salute service. Yeah, salute service. The uh, the article is up on seattletimes.com, the latest from Ryan Davis. It's an awesome story. We are switching gears, getting back to the NFL salary cap. Yahoo Sports Story Epstein joining us next to talk about what it means for the Seahawks.